You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit sojournmontrose.org. Well, good morning. Uh, Welcome to Sojourn Montrose. If I don't know you, my name is Reed. I'm one of the pastors here. It's my joy to welcome you uh, in 2019 to our first gathering. Um, We're we're excited you're here. Um, And if you don't know, we're, we're a neighborhood church, which means... Um, we, we are in the neighborhood of Montrose, we're for the neighborhood of Montrose, um, and if you're new, maybe you have uh, a New Year's resolution to, to come to church or be part of a church, and I want to encourage you in that, and uh, the way I'm going to encourage you that is just like Caroline said, we want to we encourage you to visit a neighborhood parish this week, and look, I know that's, um, that's awkward a little bit to walk in a house you don't know with people you've just met in it a little bit. Um, but you should feel um, a little comfort in knowing that, for the most part, all of us who are members here did that at one point. We, we all walked into a house that we didn't know really anybody um, and introduced ourselves, and so everybody in the room should know what it feels like, and so hopefully you'll get a warm welcome. Um, I want to encourage you to fill out that Connect card or ask the folks around you what parish they're part of, and uh, I'm, I'm, in, I'm uh, sure that you'll get an invite um, so members invite the folks around you. <clears throat> okay, so this morning we, we jump back into the gospel according to Luke. It's one of the four stories of Jesus, the four, um, the four writings that, that show who Jesus is and what he has done and what he has come to do. And the last time we, we read from the gospel of Luke was actually Christmas Eve where we talked about the birth of Jesus, what we celebrate at Christmas. Um, and so now we, we, uh, we're walking back into a narrative of this other guy named John the Baptist. So before we got to the birth of Jesus, we talked about the prophecy of Jesus' birth. So we saw Jesus uh, foretold and then Jesus born. And then uh, even before that, we saw the prophecy of John's birth. And then we saw John being born a week before Christmas Eve. And now we pick up the story of John the Baptist in the region again in chapter 3. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump in um, and try and keep this uh, as brief as we can. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a new year um, with new expectations, uh, maybe for ways we can um, be known or do better or be better uh, when it comes to uh, a number of things in our life, Lord. But I ask that you would, uh, by your Spirit, give us a sense of calm of, of presence, and that we would, um, by, by your Spirit, do the things this year that you would have us do. Be the people this year that you would have us be. Be the individuals this year that you'd have us be. And Lord, I hope from this story of John the Baptist who is preparing the people of Israel, the people of God for the Messiah, for Jesus, um, through this story, would you prepare us as well, um, not in anticipation, but in knowing what you have done on our behalf, which you prepare us for this year. Now we love you. We trust you. I pray all this in your name. Amen. So I'm going to start reading uh, again chapter 3 verse, in verse 1, and I'm probably, I was really impressed by Caroline's pronunciations of all those names, so we'll see if I, I don't think I'll do uh, nearly as good, but it says this, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Iturea, 
and Trachonitis and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he goes uh, to say he went into the region all around the Jordan, proclaiming the baptism of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. So we're going to see how that proclamation of repentance and forgiveness of sins plays out in a minute. But for now, why, I, I want to ask and answer the question maybe, why does Luke tell us all this information? Luke, who wrote this, tell us all this information about who's the leader, who are, who are the leaders in the region. Um, so Luke gives us, with, with, with pretty good accuracy and extraordinary detail, a picture of the historical makeup of the region. And historians and other writers have confirmed that this is all accurate. So these people existed, and they were leaders here. But then, in the middle of this kind of history lesson of who's in leadership in all these different areas in the region, John, or Luke shifts his tone and says this, the word of God came to John. And I think uh, what we're going to see play out in the, in the gospel of Luke, and especially right here, Luke is concerned with how divine history intersects with secular history, right? That means the story of God, the story of God's prophecy of, of the things of God coming to pass in the life of Jesus and in his birth are intersecting with, with the world, with um, who's leading, what's going on in the region. It's one of the themes of Luke uh, that he's trying, to, he's trying to convince us that these aren't separated stories anymore, um, and really they never were. The story of humanity is the story of God. The divine promises of God in the Old Testament are coming to pass here in the New Testament and currently, here in the story of Jesus and the Gospels of Jesus. So let's look at the passage from Isaiah and, and think wh what's going on here. It says this, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places will become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So this is a collection of verses from uh, the prophecy book, Isaiah, and it's not, it's not a section, it's, it's multiple different verses from multiple different chapters. So why did Luke bring these specific verses together for this prophecy? Well, combined with the historical information we're given right before this prophecy, again, I think that builds the case that he is concerned with, and we should be concerned with, the intersection of God's story and humanity's story. The intersection being that they're the same now, that God has actually entered history as a man in Jesus He's convinced that these things are lining up, primarily because they actually are lining up. And so the voice crying out in the wilderness is, is supposed to be John the Baptist, right? It is John the Baptist. He's preparing the way of the Lord, make paths straight in preparation, and we're going to see that play out in the rest of this chapter. But then he goes on to these other prophecies that mountains will be made low, valleys will be raised high, and that all flesh uh, he says, all flesh or all people will see the salvation of the Lord. And I think this, this selection of verses from Isaiah uh, gives us a foretaste of what the Gospel of Luke is all about. The Gospel of Luke has four main themes. The first is what I've been talking about all morning so far, the intersection of the divine story and our story. That's the first theme of Luke. But the second is the, the theme of humility, 
So we see mountains made low, high things made low, um, high people, powerful people humbled. And the third is justice, probably more than any other gospel. Luke focuses on justice, specifically social justice when it comes to poor and marginalized peoples. And we see this when he says the valleys, the low will be brought up, they will be filled, and the crooked paths are made straight. And finally, the, the fourth theme of Luke is that salvation is for all people. Not 100% of people, but for all people group, all, all people groups, all flesh. And so the Isaiah, the Isaiah prophecy checks all of these boxes, right? It shows us justice in valleys and mountains. It shows us humility. It shows us that prophecy is coming true, the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. That, that's John. This is coming true. And it shows us that, um, that the, the messianic mission, the, the, me, the mission of Christ is to bring salvation not just to the Jewish people but to all people. This is a beauty of, I think, the Old Testament, right? The stories of the people of God um, are coming to pass here, and we see them in Luke specifically um, brought into the story of Jesus and fulfilled in the story of Jesus. So, a slight tidbit here, if you have started in the new year, maybe a Bible reading plan, right? My guess is that you're in the Old Testament, um, and you're going to do pretty well until you get to Leviticus, probably. And uh, my, my, my encouragement to you is to keep going. Keep going because we're, we're, we're tempted to write off the Old Testament and just say, like, look, like, a lot of this doesn't apply here anymore. Um, let, let's just get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and hear about what's going on in the New Testament. And um, I think we would really miss out on the fullness of God's revealed word. And we'd miss out on the fullness of God's story that, that Luke is referencing here. There's a fullness to this. That's why we look back at Isaiah, and, and in, in Luke, and throughout Luke, we're going to see um, the Old Testament brought to bear through Jesus on the people. So that's the, the historical context of this introduction to John's mission, right? So that, that tells us what's going on, when it was going on, the prophecy that it fulfills, and then the rest of the section is the words, what, what is John actually proclaiming? This is the first time we actually get to hear from this guy, right? We're like... I hear he's coming, he was born, he's going to make the path straight and prepare people for the Lord, but what, what is he actually going to do? Um, that's where we are now. And I think uh, he's going to have three primary messages for us this morning in the next section. The first is of judgment. First, he's going to warn us of a judgment. Uh, and really, he's warning the Jewish people here, but I think we have some things we can learn from this. Second, he's going to show us how we can be assured right, that we should bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And third, he's going to point us to a coming Messiah. So let's look starting in verse 7. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say for yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now an axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So that's the first message that John is preaching to the people here. So if you ever thought a sermon of ours was harsh, I don't think we've ever called you a brood of vipers. Um, if we have, I apologize. But that, I mean, that's how he comes out the gate, right? He's like, oh, hey, everybody, y'all are a bunch of snakes. 
This is a judgment warning for the people of Israel. He's saying, um, he's saying, look, like y'all have historically assumed your position with God is good, right? You you were born into this. You were born into God's covenant people. So your assumption is we're good. And he's saying you're just trying to stay in. But look, like that that doesn't matter anymore. He's saying. You're saying we're, we're, we're Abraham's sons, which just means Abraham is a historic figure in the Old Testament. The sons of Abraham are the people of Israel, God's people. So saying we're Abraham's sons means I'm one of God's people. And he says, yeah, but God can make these rocks, Abraham's son. And he gives them this warning that even now an axe is at your root. So you get this idea that, there's this, that people are trees, right? That's the metaphor here. And there is an axe waiting at the trunk, ready to be swung at the trees that don't bear good fruit. So he's saying, um, he's really saying this, all of you, all of humanity has sinned and fallen short of God's glory. What is required of the people of Israel has not been done. They have not borne fruit. They have not done good works. They have not repented When we hear this message, um, let me admit, when I hear this message, I get a little uncomfortable, right? Because uh, this makes us uncomfortable. It makes us think of fire and brimstone and hell and wrath and death and judgment. But I I think what John is doing here is utterly loving and it's fulfilling his role. His role is to prepare the people of Israel for the Messiah, But right now, they don't think they need one. They don't think they need a Savior. And he's saying, look, like, you're not not God's people just because of your birth. He's priming them for their need for a Savior. And sometimes I think we need that too, right? Because a lot of our world doesn't think that, that they need a Savior. But the reality is that we do too. So that's John's first message. It's one of warning, a message of judgment. Now let's look at what happens next. So the crowds hear this warning, and they say, what then shall we do? And this is his answer. If you have two tunics, share it with him who has none. If you have food, do likewise. And then tax collectors come also to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what do we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you're authorized to do. And soldiers asked him, what do we do? And he said to them, do not exhort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be content with your wages. So in response to wrath, the people are asking, okay, so how do we not become a tree that gets chopped down, right? How do we not, uh, how do we avoid the judgment of God that you're saying we deserve? If this is true, what could we do? And John's response is is this. Um, It it might be contrary to what we would think as Christians, um, but there's a reason for that. He says, do good works, do good things, be good people. And so, Sometimes we get, we get freaked out by that because we're like, it's all grace, it's all forgiveness, and we'll get there. But John's message of preparation is, be good. 
And then we see these tax collectors and these soldiers coming up, and they're, they're singled out, specifically tax collectors, because these are uh, seen as some, kind of the lowest members of society. They're commonly associated with sinners and prostitutes, and, and dishonesty is the expectation from these guys. So people see a tax collector come, and they think, I'm going to get hassled here. I'm going to get ripped off. I think of, this isn't exactly the same, so forgive me, but uh, I think of a car dealership mechanic. The, when I go to a car dealership to get my car worked on, um, I expect dishonesty, right? Like, I, I expect that my radiator needs flushed, and I need a new oil cap, and I don't know the terminology, so I just kind of say, okay, I'll just do the, the oil thing. And I think I sound smart, I'll do the other thing. I never do. Um, <laughs> but I just don't trust, like, I don't trust what they're, I don't feel like they're on my side. It's not a perfect illustration, excuse me, it's not a perfect illustration, but it's, um, it's similar in that the expectation of the tax collector is dishonesty. People assume that they're just going to be dishonest because, by and large, they were. So they come, they're looking to repent and be baptized, and they say to John, what do we do? And he says, be honest. Be honest in your profession. Don't skim off the top. Collect what you've been asked to collect. And don't do anything more. And the soldiers are the same way. He says, don't abuse your power. Don't shake people down with your power. Be content with what you make. He basically says, avoid the sins of your profession. Right? So if your profession has a specific temptation that others might not. He says, avoid them. Walk uprightly. So, John's first message is judgment. And when asked, okay, so how do we avoid judgment? His response in the second message is, be a good person. Do good works. Don't abuse your power. Be generous in your excess. He says, if you're truly repentant, then you're assured of your repentance by your social concern, by, by your concern for others and around, those around you. This is fairly radical, I think. John is baptizing those who are repentant and giving them assurance by encouraging them to walk uprightly, to love justice and to do good. But let's see what he says next, and maybe this will reframe some, some of the ways that we should think about these. In verse 15, he says this, As the people were in expectation... And all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be Christ. John answered them saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire." So when they hear this message of wrath and then of, of doing good, their immediate response is, man, is this, is this the Savior? Is this guy John it? Maybe he is the promised Messiah, like he fulfills, uh, he fulfills some prophecy and he's, he's preaching with authority saying repent and calling us vipers and... Maybe he's it. But John's response to this, this belief isn't, isn't cloudy. 
It's not, uh, it's, it's fairly clear, right? He says, there's someone mightier than me who's coming. Someone whose feet I can't touch, I'm not worthy to. His baptism is different. And then he goes on with this farming illustration that we'll get to. And so, Let's, let's look at baptism here, because I think this can be confusing for us too. John is baptizing these people, right, which, which is confusing because we have baptism as Christians. Um, but these are different baptisms, so I want to make that, make, make that distinction, right? How is John's baptism different than what we practice? Let's look at it this way. Just like John's role is to prepare Israel, the people of God, to prepare them for Jesus, so John's baptism is a preparation baptism it washes sin. So he's, he's doing it symbolically to wash the sins of the people of Israel. It's preparatory. It's not something new here. The people of Israel have been doing this for centuries at this point. So the water here, the water baptism represents the cleansing in preparation for salvation. Where for us, when we baptize, we're symbolically burying and raising each other in Christ in Jesus, based on what He has done. There's certainly an aspect of repentance that comes with that, don't get me wrong, but unlike John, our baptism includes the work of the Holy Spirit that was given to us at the point of our salvation. By the Holy Spirit's power, we're able to fulfill those good works. We're able to walk in repentance and bear good fruit. And so, John makes the distinction of water and fire, right? And we don't we, we don't baptize people in actual fire. I hope you know that. Um, but like fire, our baptism purifies symbolically. So we say uh, fire is used here as fire purifies gold. That's the reason that fire is used here. Where water washes sin. In John's baptism, um, sin is cleaned. But in ours, it symbolically represents purification that comes from salvation. John's baptism is a symbol of preparation, anticipation, and repentance. Ours is a symbol of response to salvation, new life in Christ, obedience to Jesus, and repentance by the power of the Spirit. So John knows that there's a different baptism coming. John knows that he isn't it. And based on Luke 2, what we read uh, a few weeks ago concerning the birth of Jesus, what we celebrate on Christmas, we know, too, who is coming. Right? The, at this point in the narrative, there, we're not supposed to be wondering, I wonder who this could be. But we know. The angels proclaimed at his birth who he was, Savior and Lord. the one who John is unworthy to touch his feet of, touch the feet of. And so that's who we're talking about here. And then, then we get this metaphor, right? This, uh, this metaphor of, of farming with wheat and chaff. It's really a message of separation and of warning, but also hope. Let me read it one last time. He says, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And so the imagery of wheat being gathered and chaff, just the stuff that isn't the wheat, the stuff that you don't want, being left over on the floor. And so that, that's the, the imagery here is that's what a winnowing fork does. The fork 
brings the wheat up but leaves the chaff. John is convinced by the Scriptures, convinced by the prophecy and the Word of God that has come to him that the Messiah has come to save his people, the wheat. The Messiah has come to figure out who his people are, the wheat. The Messiah has come to separate the wheat from the chaff. And we know now that the wheat is the people of God. It's the church. That's why Caroline said a few minutes ago, we don't, we're not an event to attend, but a people to belong to. It's not an event or a building. The global church is the people of God, the wheat. What's, what's beautiful about this metaphor is that God does the work of choosing and pulling the wheat out. Jesus will come and separate. We'll see this in all four Gospels, that Jesus comes and he separates wheat from chaff. There are dividing lines all over his ministry. And in John 10, verse 14, Jesus will say this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So in this passage, we have the developing idea that will continue to develop all throughout Luke that salvation is coming. It isn't just for the Jewish people. It's for all flesh, all people. Jesus is gathering his church and saving them. And that's what we believe. So those are the three messages of John. Wrath and judgment is coming. The axe is ready. How do you know the axe isn't for you? You repent and you bear fruit. And yet, his third message is, one is coming who will purify through baptism, not just clean in a punctuated time, but one who will purify forever. And he will call his people to him and he will save them. So, what does this mean for us? I think Given the difference that we kind of talked about between John's baptism and our baptism, given the difference between uh, what it means to be saved by Jesus on this side of the cross, on this side of history, we can, we can order these pieces a little differently and have a good framework for how to live. First, John's first message, that we are born into wrath and judgment. We, we fell in the garden, right? But, but all of humanity now, there's a chasm between us and God that we can't bridge. He is righteous. We are unrighteous. And there's nothing we can do to pull ourselves on the righteous side. We can't bridge the gap. That is the message of wrath and judgment that John is proclaiming. We can't bridge the gap. But then, instead of going to John's second message, I want to go to John's third message. That the Messiah is coming is his message. But for us, the Messiah has come. He has come. And he lived a perfect life, a righteous life in obedience and submission. And he died an unmerited death as a substitute for us, one that we deserved and he rises in victory over death, celebrating on Easter. Listen, if, if this isn't, if you don't believe that this morning, if that isn't true for you, um, 
I desperately want it to be, and, and not just because I believe in judgment. I do, but not just because of that. I also know the great wealth of relationship that, that a personal relationship with Jesus affords. A great comfort and a great peace. And if your life and your world is turbulent, he'll calm it. If you're lonely, he brings community around you. Not just in this life, but eternally. And so at the very least, if you don't believe this, my, my ask of you in this new year is that you would engage with the story of Jesus. I'll take the liberty here to speak for all of our members and say any one of us would be honored to walk with you in, in walking through the story of Jesus, who he is and what he's done. But I encourage you to, to figure it out. Engage with it. Discover it. At the very least, read, read some of the most impactful texts in the history of the world, if not the most impactful texts in the history of the world. And finally, John's third message, I think, is still relevant for us. How do we know that we're saved? How do we know that we're God's people? How are we assured of our faith? Well, keeping in step with repentance, we bear fruit. But the good news for us is that Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit, which allows us to bear fruit. It means we can actually do good. We're enabled to grow in our ability to do good. We're enabled to grow in our desire to do good. It means our desires change. Our actions change. And it's not for anything. It's not in preparation for anything. It's not in order to be saved, but out of salvation. Out of Jesus has come and lived and died and risen. We're free. And by the power of the Spirit, we can do good, actually. So this is good news for us. So in 2019, if nothing else... As a church, I'd like for us to respond to our salvation with repentance and bearing fruit. That means when we fall, we confess it, and we're met with grace and forgiveness. But that also means that we strive together to take care of each other and our world, our neighbors, our neighbors in Montrose, the poor, the marginalized. We defend the weak, and we should uphold righteousness. We're going to see those themes play out in Luke week after week after week. But my hope is that we would gaze at it and see who Jesus is and what he has done together, and it would transform us every year. Let's pray for that. Father, thank you that... You have come in the form of your son, Jesus, and done what the prophecies of old predicted, and that you've done what we couldn't, and you've lived how we couldn't, and you've bridged a gap that we couldn't bridge. Lord, I pray for us in the room that know you and walk with you, that you would, by your Spirit, Help us to walk in the good works that you've prepared for us, to help us be good. 
but knowing that there's a great blanket of comfort over us and a net below us of grace and forgiveness. And Father, by the power of your Spirit, would you remind us of that in 2019? As we walk towards doing good and upholding justice and being merciful, that we would, when we succeed, it's by your power and for your glory, and when we fail, we're held and loved just as much as we could be. Lord, for the people in the room who are lonely or tired um, or frustrated into a new year already, I pray your comfort would fall upon them. For those who don't know you, I pray that they would engage with you. For those looking for community, I pray that they'd find it here in your people. Lord, we love you. We trust you with our years. We trust you with 2019. Would you hold us in faithfulness and peace? Amen.